This is The Space Shot, episode 227, for December 27th, 2017. Kepler. Hey everyone, welcome to The Space Shot, your daily space history, pop culture, and news fix. I'm John Molnix. Johann Kepler, one of the most famous astronomers in history, was born on this day in 1571. Besides astronomy, Kepler also studied mathematics and optics. One of the things he formulated were glasses for nearsighted and farsighted people. His studies on astronomy range from showing that the Earth's moon causes tidal forces to his famous three laws of planetary motion. These laws were discovered over decades, the first law in 1605 with the publication of Astronomia Nova, and the last in 1619 in a book titled Harmonices Mundi. Kepler's laws of planetary motion are 1. Planets move in ellipses with the sun at one focus. 2. The radius vector describes equal areas in equal times. And 3. The squares of periodic times are to each other as cubes of the mean distances. So you're probably asking yourself, what do those laws mean? Alrighty, so the first law. Planets move in ellipses with the sun at one focus. Simply put, planets don't orbit around the sun in a perfect circle. Their orbits are eccentric or elliptical. Elliptical orbits are something that even Galileo fought against, which is interesting considering how influential Galileo is in the history of astronomy. The second law, the radius vector describes equal areas in equal times, sounds a bit trickier. It's described as, quote, in order for an object along an elliptical orbit to sweep out the area at a uniform rate, the object moves quickly when the radius vector is short, and the object moves slowly when the radius vector is long. More simply put, planets move proportionately faster in orbits when they are closer to the sun, and slower when they're farther away. The third law sounds even more complex. The squares of the periodic times are to each other as the cubes of the mean distances. A great JPL article describes this law as, quote, the relationship between the distance of a planet from the sun and the amount of time it took to orbit the sun. Besides his three laws, Kepler also published the Rudolphine Tables. These tables used the data that Tycho Brahe had gathered, combined with Kepler's discovery of elliptical orbits, to come up with highly accurate positions of the planets relative to the stars as seen from Earth. Interestingly, these tables were used to predict the transit of Mercury and Venus in the 1630s. Kepler is reported to have said, quote, Happy is the man who devotes himself to the study of the heavens. Their study will furnish him with the pursuit of enjoyments. Kepler died at the age of 58 in 1630. Apollo 8, Houston. Go ahead, Houston, Apollo 8. Okay, I've got some weather and recovery force status and a couple of last-minute items to run down anytime it's convenient for you. All right, it's convenient right now. Okay, uh, for the mid-Pacific, uh, the general condition is good. You can expect cloud bases uh, 2,000 foot scattered, visibility 10 miles. I've got one piece of space history for today as well. On the morning of December 27, 1968, Apollo 8 splashed down in the Pacific Ocean about 1,000 miles south-southwest of Hawaii. 
the splashdown and recovery of the crew of Apollo 8 by the USS Yorktown marked the end of the first mission to send humans into deep space. Stick around if you want to hear more of the re-entry audio from the Apollo 8 mission. I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review on iTunes. If you leave a review, screenshot it and send it to me at John Molnix pretty much everywhere on the internet, and I'll shoot you a Space Shot sticker and a little thank you. Also, make sure you hit the subscribe button, that way you don't miss any of the daily episodes. As always, the show notes have more information on today's episode. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. Find me at John Molnix. I'm always up to chat. You can also connect with me on Facebook. Just search the space shot or click the link in the show notes. I'm John Molnix, and I'll catch you on the flip side. recede, but they'll still maintain a, a large heat load, nearly 5,000 degrees out on the leading edge of the heat shield. Flight director notes that he hears some keying coming, the, as in Morse code keying, and uh, he's wondering as to the source of it. 146 hours, 48 minutes. put the spacecraft down about 35 to 36 miles above the Earth uh, and elevating slightly, perhaps Apollo up to 40. Houston, radio check. Ken Mattingly just put in a call and just frankly labeled it a radio check. He's gotten no responses yet. tries a second call through the Huntsville. Our estimates uh, say that the crew along about now should be emerging. The Huntsville advises they have not established contact with the spacecraft at this time. Uh, Roger, thank you, Huntsville. three and a half minutes since we went into the blacked out area. And now the Huntsville is handing over communication checks, uh, communication authority to one of the range aircraft. We call them Araya. 
And the Huntsville, the Huntsville says they have acquired an S-band signal at uh, 51 minutes, four seconds. And they, they immediately called back and said no contact. They negate that first uh, announcement. One of the uh, recovery helicopters reported seeing something, but those kind of reports at these critical moments aren't unusual. Apollo 8, Apollo 8. This is Houston through Orion. Say again, 8. Ken Mattingly puts in a, another call. Houston, Apollo, over. And Go ahead, Apollo 8. There's Jim Lovell. He says we're looking good. I can't tell whether it's Borman or Lovell. Let's try to cut it in. is reporting a radar contact. The first communication was extremely broken up, but the two words that did come through were looking good. controllers here in the control center heard the crew mention uh, something like a real fireball 